We've entitled this morning's message, kind of maybe a little bit unusual as we deal with uh, the beginning of a book, First Things First. Well, how in the world did you come to that, Pastor Dan? Well, by asking some questions of myself that I would now ask of you. What would you say to someone? What would you, as an individual, say to someone who you had confidence in? You had a lot of confidence in this person. And as you looked at their life, you saw from their lives, in your opinion, that they were an example to other believers. You got confidence in them. They're an example to other believers. They had been an encouragement, not only to individuals, but you know for a fact that they have been a tremendous encouragement even to a local church such as Corinth, who was involved in all kinds of difficulties as believers. And yet their lives had been used tremendously to encourage them. And as you looked at the life, you also saw further that not only were those aspects good, but the person was very, very faithful. They've been faithful to the word of God, faithful to all that God had called them to from what you have seen. And now you're getting prepared to write a letter but there's also some other things that need to be considered. And as you consider the individual that you're ready to write to, you consider the fact that you had given this individual a current assignment. And with all those tremendous aspects that we just talked about, you had noted that the individual had not yet carried out that assignment to which he was given responsibility. Not only that, but you detect and look at the life and feel the person is probably getting weary in well-doing. The person has been very, very faithful, not carrying out the task, and has probably been beat up a little bit and doesn't know whether they really want to continue on. And then further than that, you know that while you gave them this task and while they have been that faithful, you have left them in an environment in which they had accomplished this task, in which the living environment is in the midst of ungodly people. And the challenge is tremendous just to even walk with God. What would you say to that person? Would you or would I, number one, ignore the problem and just hope that it's going to go away and say, you know, the person's lived with a walk with the Lord so greatly, I better just leave it alone and not address it. Would you then come down rather than take that approach and maybe take the opposite approach and say, I'm going to beat them up. What is the matter with you? You've had tremendous life walking with God in the past. Why haven't you carried this out? What's wrong with you? What is the matter in just beat them up? Or would you take a different approach? Why do I ask those questions? Because as I've spent two weeks with you in preparing us for the study of the epistle that we're about to begin, that is exactly where the Apostle Paul found himself. The Apostle Paul found himself writing a letter to a man who had been very faithful, as we've already seen, had encouraged so many other people, and yet he was not carrying out a responsibility that he was given, and he was in a very ungodly environment. 
Not only that, but Paul, we know from the background I already gave you, is near the end of his life. He's near the end of his life, and he wants to write to this individual because this individual is one of the most faithful men that he's got to leave behind. And the Apostle Paul, a little different from the other 12, but the Apostle Paul has now experienced being called by God and carrying on while Jesus Christ is back in heaven. He was given a tremendous responsibility to carry out, and he's now in the end of his life, and he knows, because he is going to teach Timothy this, that it is very vital that we teach others who may be able to teach others also because the work of God has to carry on when Paul's work is done. And Titus is going to be one of those men to carry it on. And he sent Titus to this island of Crete, which we will talk more about later, not today, to accomplish a task, and yet he's not carried it out. And I say all of that because that's what brought me to the conclusion of first things first, believe it or not. You just went through my whole study for the last month. Why? Because as I looked and examined all of that, we come to the salutation. Yeah, we do. Big deal. And I read all as many commentaries as I had in my office on the salutation. I read three or four different study Bibles on the, the salutations and so forth. But what I wanted to really look at was what is Paul saying here? Uh, he is going to address the problem. He's not going to ignore it. He is going to encourage Titus. But in his salutation, in my personal opinion, he does something greater. And what is that? What I believe Paul does in this salutation is to get Titus back to the place that he needs to be in just four small verses. I'll address the problem with you, Titus. I'll give you the encouragement you need. But Titus, first things first. What do you mean, Pastor Dan? I believe in these verses, what he does for Titus and what he wants us to see is who it is that you are serving, Titus. Who it is that I am serving, Titus. And what the character of our great God is. Because if you can be brought back to that, the rest will fall into place. You'll be able to take the correction. You'll be able to be encouraged. You will be able to address very practical situations in men, women, boys, girls, on the job, social, government life, and all the rest I want to talk about. But first, Titus, let's take a step back. Let's take a step back and take a look at who God is and what his character is. And I believe that's what we have in this salutation. So for personal reasons, I came back to this. First things first. What is that? Number one, our God is sovereign. Who do we belong to? Who is God? Our God's sovereign. What does it mean, sovereign? He's in control of everything. He's in control of me, Titus. I'm about to leave, and I want you to know that God is in control of me and you. In the salutation, we have 
four verses that I read, why did I read it all, knowing that I'm not going to cover it all? Because it's one sentence. It's an on this, is, this is a Pastor Dan type of sentence. Anyone that's ever seen me write anything, that's usually the comments. You know, you ran in sentences, it doesn't even make sense. The English is poor. Well, his English uh, with the translation is fine, but just run on and run on. And that's what it is. It's a long sentence that covers four verses. And um, it's very typical in the sense that it starts off, unlike, now we don't write letters anymore, now we write text messages and we'd probably, we wouldn't even write the word Paul, we'd probably put a P, or we'd come up with a funny face or something like that. The way text messaging has changed our society is incredible. But back then, when they wrote a letter, it was not like when I was younger and we would write letters. We'd write letters and at the end of the letter we would say, Dan. They started off their letters right away and wanted everybody to know right away who was writing. And so he starts with the first word there, Paul. But let me remind you of something. While he's identifying himself as the writer, I want you to remember what I spent a great deal of time on last week. What is that? Remember that we learned that men did not choose to write God's word of their own self-will. I didn't just waste a message last week. There was a purpose behind it. Because when we come to the writer of this epistle, Paul didn't just choose. It was a real-life circumstance. We've taken you through that. But we learned from Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 that no man took it upon themselves to just write God's word. God chose the men, and the Holy Spirit moved them along. God chose the men. The Holy Spirit carried them along. And God originated. They were breathed forth. The words were breathed forth from God. And man was simply used as the instrument. So as we come to another epistle, do we have God's word? Absolutely we do. That's why we're studying it. This is not like any other letter. This is a letter that came by God choosing Paul. And now through the instrumentality of Paul, it is going to be written specifically to Titus, but to be carried on, to be studied and passed around the churches. Why? So that we would know God's word. This is a product not of Paul, but a product of God that we are studying. But he starts off with Paul. Interesting. Now, how does he identify himself? What is his credentials? What is the identification that Paul gives? I think it's rather interesting. Why? He does not start off with a list of personal accomplishments. That is usually what we do. In fact, I might be wrong, but I would venture to guess that, I'll put it this way, so, I'm so I might not be wrong. Probably in most circumstances is the way I'll put it. I was going to say all. Whenever there's a speaker coming in, or a speaker, or you're going to a conference, it is very carefully delineated what the qualifications are. Why? To impress people. I mean, honestly. If I went down the street and you said, Pastor Dan's coming to speak, I would expect no one to show up. But I would suspect that if you got a name and you put behind that he's written 55 books and he's got six PhDs and he's got this and whatever, you'll get people coming out of the woodwork even though they don't even know who the guy is. It's true. And that's also what we do, by the way. I read an interesting article not too long ago. It's maybe four or five months ago. Uh, about a recommendation that someone had who is a very well-known person, but he doesn't go to conferences anymore, and he won't. And he said the reason he won't is because even in Christian circles, that is the biggest ticket for people coming. 
who is speaking and what their credentials are. He said, it's about time we get the average person in the pew and we have a conference and pull them out just as a person of God. Why? Because people are interested in credentials. Paul wasn't interested in his credentials. Paul could have said, I was, this is Paul the Pharisee. He could have said, this is Paul who was born in the right family, if you know the book of Philippians. He could have said, this would have been impressive, Paul, a Roman citizen. That would have been quite impressive. That would have meant that he was free, and he used that in the right context in the book of Acts. He didn't say any of that. I want you to see something else he didn't say. He didn't start off and say, Paul, a Christian. What would you say? This is Dan, and I'm a Christian. It's not how Paul started off. Paul started off his letter with two credentials. Number one, he wanted him to know that I, Paul, who am writing to you, am a bondservant of God. I am a slave. I belong to God. It's kind of unusual. It is the only place I believe, if I was careful enough in my study, it's the only time that Paul directly says he's a bond servant of God. He usually says he's a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Just go back to Philippians. I have a number of references here, but I won't take the time. I'll just give you an, a, a sample close by. Philippians chapter 1. Here he uses Paul and Timothy, because Timothy was with him in writing to the Philippian church. And in verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants, plural, of Jesus Christ. And that is normally, if you went back to the book of Romans, you'd see it. If you went into some of the other epistles, you'd see. That's normally the way Paul writes. But he doesn't when he's writing to Titus. He comes back to the fact that he is a slave. He is a bondservant, and he is a bondservant of God. He belongs to God. Why? I believe right away he wants Titus to see Paul is not interested in his own credentials. He doesn't want to impress Titus with that. <clears throat> he wants to impress Titus with this. I belong to God, and so do you, Titus. And let me take us back already today. You'll hear it in two or three different forms this morning. So are we. Who are we? We go around saying we're Christian. If anybody knows anything in the United States of America, it's this. Everybody's a Christian. What do you mean by that? You really mean that, Pastor Dan? No, I don't, by true Christian. But yes, I do, by people saying it. I was with someone two weeks ago having a discussion, and their comment to me was, we Christians. To the best of my knowledge, this person has never trusted in Christ. This person does go to church on a regular basis. Why? Because anyone who's not certain religions are a quote-unquote Christian. And I, I would venture to guess that if you talk to your neighbors, unless they are of a Muslim background or they are of a Jewish background, they will probably tell you that they are a Christian. Let me ask you something. When is the last time when someone said to you, uh, what is your background? Uh, what religion are you? When's the last time you turned around and said, I'm a bond servant of God? We don't think that way. You know why we don't think that way? Because in reality, we don't act that way. We don't act like we belong to somebody else. 
But Paul, before he's going to write the detail of what he needs to write, he immediately starts off that he is a slave. Well, now, what does that mean, that he's a bond slave? It's pretty self-explanatory. Well, let's talk about it this morning for a reason. Number one, what he's saying is I totally belong to someone else. I am not my own. Because Titus has to see that before he will get back to the task at his hand. Titus needs to see you are not your own, Titus. You were not sent to Crete to do what you want to do, Titus. You don't belong to you. But Paul doesn't even attack that. He starts with himself, and he says, I, one of the greatest apostles, I believe, that's given to us in the New Testament and used greatly of God, identifies himself as being a slave. I belong to someone else. That is, a slave is someone who is given totally to someone else's will. Is it not true? What is a bond slave? It's someone that doesn't belong to themselves and they are given totally to the will of someone else. Let me ask you again this morning. Do you and I see ourselves that way? Paul did. Peter did. James did. John did. Jude did. I'm just naming some New Testament writers. They all saw themselves as, since I came to believe on Jesus Christ, I don't belong to me. I belong to someone else. Let me try to illustrate it, then I'll talk to our, ourselves this morning. Now you can see why I'm not going to get through these four verses. What do you, what, how can you illustrate that, Pastor Dan? How about, let's make it very simple, how about work? What do you mean? And if you happen to be the owner of the company, you can appreciate this end of it. When someone, when you work for somebody, what happens? They basically own you. Say, ah, no, they don't. Really? What happens if your boss says, guess what? You're staying tonight. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm going home. You're fired. Oh, never mind. I'll reconsider. Why? You're subject to that will or you don't get a paycheck. Now, this isn't the best illustration because you could quit. But basically, when a boss turns around and says, uh, I want you to do this, you now have a choice. You either sever that relationship or you do what he says, or do what they say. And then you have to make adjustments in your family accordingly. When it was a slave market, it wasn't even that simple because they could just take your life. You either did what they said, and it was full time, or you could be eliminated. The slave did not belong to himself. You and I, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, need to see ourselves that way. Why? Go back there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You could probably quote it for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. What did he say? Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. All believers should be able to say, I know that. Whom you have of God, now watch this, and that you are not your own. Why? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And he's dealing with the body, yes, but he's dealing with the person as well. You were bought 
Will you say, what was the price of my purchase? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you today are a professing Christian and that profession is real, you have been bought. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. If you address the Father, uh, address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in, the, in fear during the time of your stay on earth. That's pretty open, right? Conduct yourselves in his fear him. Why? Verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Verse 19. But with the precious blood as the lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. You and I were purchased, redeemed, bought with a price. What was it? The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He bought us out of the slave market of sin. And so if you want to call yourself a Christian, and I want to call myself a Christian, if Titus was going to see that he had a task, he didn't even belong to Paul. It all started with realizing that he was a bondservant. He was a slave. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Dan. I thought as a Christian I'm free. Christ came to set me free. How can somebody be free and be a slave? That can only happen when a person has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. By nature, every man is a slave to sin when he comes into the world. When he comes into the world, he's a slave to sin. And it is only through the work of Christ. It is only through Jesus Christ paying the penalty and debt and redeeming us and buying us. And then he did the work, that's fine. But it does not get applied to your life and it does not get applied to my life. It isn't just on knowledge. If you were here this morning and say, well, I know Jesus Christ died on the cross. I believe he died for the sins of the world. I believe he shed the blood. I believe he satisfied God, and so I'm a Christian. No. It's based on his work, but the appropriation of that, the application of that, the receiving of that happens through faith. When I place my faith in that personal work, when I accept the free gift that Jesus Christ has provided through salvation. And it is then and only then that it is appropriated to my life so that I am forgiven from sin, so that I have eternal life, so that I have been brought from light unto darkness, so that I have been brought from death unto life. It is only through the appropriation that happens when God miraculously does a work in our hearts. Knowledge is not enough. It's appropriation. Now, when it's appropriated, what that means is I no longer am mine. I have been bought. I belong to Jesus Christ. I was bought out of the slave market of sin to serve God. Let's turn to the book of Romans for a moment. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I want to just go through a few things here. I want you to see that salvation is a free gift, but I'm going to be leaning towards something else in a moment. This isn't a part-time assignment. 
In Romans chapter 5, let me begin in verse 6 for a minute. For while you were still helpless, this is our condition before salvation. At the right time, Christ died for, here's your condition, the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare, dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us, watch, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified, how? By that death. Been justified by his blood, there it is again, there's the purchase price. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Great, we don't want to go to hell, we want to go to heaven. For if while we were enemies, we were enemies, we were helpless, we were ungodly, it says. He says, we were reconciled to God, how? Through the death of the Son, much more having been reconciled, we have been saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Go with me to chapter 6 of the book of Romans, chapter 6. Go to verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also will be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, watch, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we are no longer slaves. See, that's where we were. We're no longer slaves to sin for we have... He who has died has been freed from sin. You see, everybody's a slave. You're a slave to yourself, which is a slave to sin. Or you've been freed from that, but now you're a slave of God. Verse 8. For if when we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death has no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died unto sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives unto God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive. There's the freedom to God in Christ Jesus. Jump down with me to verse 17. You can read everything in between. 17. But thanks be to God who gives us the... Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin... You have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, watch, you became slaves of righteousness. So we are free. Free from sin. Free to live our life for God. Free to have a life that's pleasing to him. But we are not totally free in the sense that we belong to God. We are not our own. Believers are now free to please God. Believers are to do what God wants. Believers now are able to say no to sin. Believers are now able to have victory, but they belong to God. That is why two more verses I want to bring you to. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for a minute. Titus needed to see this right away before he dealt with the task. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 is actually three verses, sorry. Verse 15, 
And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, that they might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That is clear, folks. Do you know how many Christians are saying that, that I'm a Christian, that I belong to God, and honestly, it's like they're a part-time Christian. The Christ they're not governed in their daily life and decisions in their home, in work, in their business. In fact, their Christian life maybe consists of this. That's what I do when I come to this building on Sunday. Really? You better take a better look because maybe you're not saved. Maybe you are one of those professing Christians because a true Christian has been bought and God owns everything about us. That is why you ought to be the best spouse biblically that you should be, to be raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be functioning with your spiritual gift among the body of Christ. You are not your own, neither am I. We ought to live for God. Galatians chapter 2, how many times does this get quoted? Let's go to it, Galatians chapter 2. How is it possible to be a slave and yet free? Because of the relationship with Jesus Christ. I am free from the bondage of sin and death. I am free to live for him. And in Galatians chapter 2, you've heard it quoted many times, verses 19 and 20. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. There it is, death and life. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. That's a death. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He purchased me. I belong to him. One last verse. First Peter chapter 2 on this. First Peter chapter 2. Turn with me. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 16. Well, I was in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 16. If you go home later, take a look at the verse and you'll see why I got a laugh on my face. It's talking about the donkey rebuking him. It's got nothing to do with this. 1 Peter chapter 2, wrong book. Uh, verse 16. Verse 16. I did it again. My Bible wants to go right back to 2, Tim, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. I don't think I can summarize it any better. I think the scriptures do it better than I can. Are you a believer? You say yes. Fine. You're free from sin. Fine, you've been freed from the penalty of hell. Fine, but don't use it for an opportunity for evil. But use it as those who are born slaves of God. And that is how Paul starts this epistle. This is Paul, and I want you to know that when Paul got saved, he didn't look back. His life was committed to pleasing God.
If you and I are here today professing Christians, let's be honest. Do you see yourself as a bond slave? We're aliens. We're pilgrims. This world is not our home. I'd be willing to say that the average professing Christian is living for all they can get out of this world. That's not what a bond slave does. And you know, those things may hurt. Those things may come to the heart. But I do that out of love for you as a pastor. Why? Because if you truly belong to God, you belong to him, not you. Every decision you make in your family, every part of the entertainment life in your world, every part of everything you do with your spouse, with your children, should be based on the fact that we are born slaves of God. And we want to live our life to be pleasing to him because we belong to him. What I said earlier, I firmly believe that most professing Christians see Christianity as a segment of their life. It's something I do on a Wednesday. It's something I do on a Sunday. Let me make it even closer. It's something I do when I'm having devotions. That's my Christian life. Then I get up and I go. And I make all my own decisions. I let all my lusts come out. I let all my thinking take over. And I do what I want. Then I go back to my Christianity and I pray before I go to bed. I really think there's a lot of professing Christians that that's the way they live. You know what? That's a professing Christian. Probably no life at all. Because a true Christian has been bought. And Paul was not interested in his own credentials. He was interested in bringing Titus back to the reality that he was bought by God. Second one I want to deal with before we close today. I thought we were going to get to the latter part of verse 1, but we're not going to. This is all part of God's sovereignty. His sovereignty in purchasing the apostle, the apostle Paul, but making him a bondservant. And the second thing he says is he is an apostle. He has been bought by God, and he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I think there is the connection to the deity there, by the way, personally. He's a bond slave of God, and he's what? He's been sent by Jesus Christ. That's how he carries out his mission. He carries out his mission as being a bondservant by being a messenger of Jesus Christ. And he's pointing Titus back to the authority that he has right away. Paul's authority is not in his intelligence. It isn't in his personal credentials. Paul's authority is in the fact that he's been bought by God and he's been sent forth as a messenger of God under the authority of God to carry out what his father wants. I tried to think of some illustrations when we talk about the apostle of Jesus Christ. Here's the one I came to. Whether or not it's adequate is, is hard to get something on it. But it's like the power of attorney. What do you mean by that? Well, if anyone's ever had the power of attorney, you have the right to act in behalf of somebody else to make decisions. That's what he's saying. I belong to God, and I have been sent with the authority of Jesus Christ on assignment, and I am able to act in his power because he's going to do that with Titus. Why? Because in writing the epistle, he didn't do it out of his own free will. 
He did it because God selected him, and as he's sending him forth, he is now able to act, and he wants Titus to see that right away. My credentials is I'm a bond servant, and I'm an apostle. I belong to God, and I speak with his authority, is what he's saying. Titus belonged to God, and had God's authority, he was to accept it from Paul, and he was sent as a designate to Crete to carry out some work for God because he also was a bondservant of God. Every single believer belongs to God. And when we go to God's word, we are speaking in his behalf if we use the word of God rightly divided, not out of context. I will finish with this today. Not only are those his credentials, but his calling is for two purposes. For the faith of those chosen of God and of the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. Now, I'll probably give you the same response of reading. I'm just thinking off the top of my head right now, which is dangerous. But next week, why? Because I want to deal with the chosen of God and deal with it adequately. But I want you to catch this part this morning. His calling is for both purposes. Why? For the faith, that's the first thing, and for the knowledge of the truth. Those are the two things. He is called of God as a bond slave. He is called of God and sent as a messenger or an apostle of Jesus Christ and to speak in his authority and to deliver something. And his whole purpose is for this, for faith. That is to draw people to salvation. Because as Paul went forth, he went forth with the power of the gospel. And that's why I need to deal with the chosen of God. I need to give it more than five minutes can give it, so I'm not going to touch it this morning. For the faith, he wants people to come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you and I should want. We should want people to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's salvation. But also sanctification. That is not the end of it. And that is where so many churches fall short. It's salvation, salvation, salvation. That is great. But notice, he was sent forth for the faith and also for the knowledge of the truth. And I know it's sanctification. Why? Because of what he says. Watch. And the knowledge of the truth, truth which leads or which is according to godliness. Paul was a born slave of God, sent forth with a message as an apostle of Jesus Christ so that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ and then that they would grow in the knowledge of the truth so that they would live godly lives. That's maturity. That's sanctification. And that's what we should seek. We should seek to share the gospel with others so that they would be brought from the slavery of sin, if you will, and they would be brought into the freedom that's found in Christ to live for him, that they would come to know him through the gospel, that is the good news that Jesus Christ died and paid the price and penalty for sin, but that is not the end. The end is also for the knowledge of the truth, and that is epigonosco, I believe that, I haven't got it in front of me, it might, I may have the wrong, whether it's a verb or noun form, but it's, it's full knowledge there. It's the full knowledge of the truth so that they can be living according to godliness. The idea isn't just to bring someone to salvation and leave them alone. Paul was committed as a bond slave and as a messenger to allow people to hear the gospel so that they could get saved and God would do his work there. And then people could grow in the knowledge of the truth so that they would live accordingly. That ought to be a challenge to us this morning. You say, I, I profess faith in Christ. I've trusted in Christ. 
Think about this. The next time you get ready to say you're a Christian, would you say that you're a bond slave? And if you say, no, I have difficulty saying that, you better examine. Because you have been bought. You are a slave of God. You are a messenger. Why? We are witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ, to what he has done. We go forth as shining lights. We go forth as the salt to bring the message of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God not only chose people we'll see next week, but he also chooses the mechanism by which they would come to salvation. And that is through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that isn't the end. Paul didn't just die on the Damascus Road. Paul was sent forth as a messenger, chosen by God as a vessel to go forth to also teach the truth so that people could grow in a full knowledge of God and know how to live a godly life. He went on to do that himself, and that is what we are to do. We are to lead others to Christ and to help them grow in the knowledge by application of what it means to live for Christ in your neighborhoods, at work, with your families, in an ungodly atmosphere. And that's what Titus was going to need as well. We will deal with election and chosen of God. I had hoped to do that today, but we will next week. I will not ignore that in verse 1 at all. No surprise. But we have Paul. He's a bond servant. He's an apostle. Why? For the faith of others and for their truth so that they could live a godly life. How do we see ourselves? Why do you think Titus might have drifted away? Out of scare, probably, because of the environment around him. We don't know. We can't get into all of his motives. But he probably lost sight of the fact that he too, Titus, was a slave, slave of God, freed from sin, but called on a mission, called on a mission to carry out the truth so that others might hear the glorious gospel of God. If you aren't here today and you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you were an enemy, you were ungodly, you were helpless as we saw in Romans, you were without hope in this world like everybody else that's bouncing around, and Christ has set you free, free from the bondage of sin and death, free from the consequences of sin and death. But in doing that, he paid a price. He bought you with the precious blood of the Lamb of God, the sinless one who died on your behalf, and you have been bought with a price. Now you and I are to glorify God in our body, which is his. We belong to him. We shouldn't just be consulting him one hour a day, one day a week, twice a month. If we belong to him, he's got full direction on everything that we do. He's got full right to us. And we need to walk as slaves who are free, free from the bondage of sin, and free to live out God's life for the glory of God according to God's will and God's pattern. Might God help us to do that just this week? Those of you that are trusted in Christ, those that have not, you need to come to see that it's not knowledge. It's just not in the head. This isn't something part-time. You need to count the cost. Christ paid the cost. He died. And by faith, if you appropriate it to you, you will have freedom from sin, freedom from the consequences of sin and hell, and the freedom to live for God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the opening comments that Paul has, 
for just his view, his understanding of what it meant to be changed from a persecutor of God, from a persecutor of the church to a child of God. He understood very clearly that as he was sent forth, he was sent forth because he was a bondservant, a slave of God. He was sent forth with a message because he was an apostle sent forth from Jesus Christ. And Father, we might not be apostles in the true sense where Paul was, but if we are true Christians, if we have truly trusted in Christ, we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. But now we need to see our lives as being lives that are lived for God, not part-time, but full-time, as slaves. Slaves of the one true living God, slaves of, of a God who desires only the best for us in our life here and in our life for all eternity with him. Help us to live accordingly. And might you open the heart of those who have not yet come to Christ. Help them to see while they think they're living their life according to their own standards, it is one that is in pursuit of sin. It is one that is not following after God according to your plans. And help them to come to see that they need to render their lives hopeless without Christ. Help them to come and trust in him that they might truly become a child of God. Thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.